Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I have my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Well, that is a very interesting response and voice. Uh, if you are listening to this recording as one of our Patreon subscribers uh, early, this is the eve of the release of Shadowlands. Uh, so what we're going to be doing today is going through some last-minute questions from our wonderful community there. Uh, and if you do have questions for this podcast, the other podcast, or the queue, uh, you can go ahead and send them in on our Discord server. We do have two channels specifically set aside for it, one for Patreon supporters so we can give them a little bit of a more attention after all they are supporting us in, in the Patreon uh, realm, which makes all of this possible. Uh, but not if you can't, we understand, and that's why we have the other channel as well. Uh, and if maybe Discord isn't your thing, we do have the option of sending us an email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Again, singular, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Our first couple of questions seem to be relatively related to Nathanos. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and probably read both of them, then we can kind of go through and, and dissect them. Uh, and these are from Titan Fuzz, a prop warrior on Velen, and uh, Kisan, a uh, hunter of Wormhorst Accord. So we'll start with Titan Fuzz's question. <clears throat> Hello, Watchers. Watching the cinematic after you defeat Nathanos made me think of a couple things. Don't worry, Matt, none of them have to do with boning this time. Nathanos' killing him would send him to his lady. In my mind, of the beings living on the material plane in Azeroth, he would know the most about the Shadowlands after Sylvanas and him saying this brings me back to the idea uh, of are the souls of the Forsaken truly in them? His statement leads me to believe, yes, the Forsaken do have their souls, as he seems to be saying that his would go from Azeroth into the Shadowlands. The other thing, and this may have come up before, and I missed it. I typically listen while watching to uh, while watching two kids uh, as an at-home dad. Shout out to my five-year-old daughter who started to make characters. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, but looking at Tehran, she seems to be taking on uh, more troll-like features uh, with the mottled, rough-looking skin and very pointy. Besides harkening back to troll ancestry, I'm wondering if Alun has a form similar to that of trolls, or perhaps had a hand in the creation, and thus the power of the Night Warrior would transform the one channeling it into that form. Thanks for helping keep my sanity every week. And then the second question is, long-time listener, long-time and grateful listener here, what do you think happens to Nathanos Blackhaller after he's downed by adventurers in Tyrande? He suggests that he's going to be delivered to Sylvanas upon dying. If I'm not mistaken, the jury is out on what happens to undead souls in terms of where to go upon re-dying. Is it not? Uh, and regardless, aren't all souls going straight to the Maw? Does he have the expectation that Sylvanas will rescue him from such a fate and intercept his soul? Or is it just wishful thinking from someone with unrequited love? You could almost hear a hint of jealousy in his voice when he notes that Sylvanas is with him, i.e. the Jailer. Uh, we get this a lot, especially over the last couple weeks, uh, and it's understandably so. Like Since seeing that, that statement from Nathanos, and even before that, that's a question that we've been debating for weeks and weeks at this point of whether forsaken have their souls what happens to them when they die and when they get to the you know, the wonderful world of the shadowlands if they get there what actually happens to them do they have a form are their souls split uh what's going on there so i mean matt i think do you have opinions on anything that we've seen in the last few weeks that make you think differently than what you've said before I just think it's kind of weird to assume that that's Nathanos A knows what he's talking about and B can possibly know certain things like where his, whether or not he's got a soul and whether or not it goes to Shadowlands. That's, 
I mean, he may have assumptions based on what Solanas has told him, but he doesn't know for sure. Uh, in terms of whether, you know, he suspects that he'll end up with her because he knows that's where she is and that's where people go when they die. He doesn't, like, no one has sat down and, like, run, like, a, a Ghostbusters-style device over, <laughs> yep, Soul's still in there. Uh, we just don't know. We don't know the answer to that question. Do Forsaken have souls? We don't know. Um, so, you know, he certainly has reasons to believe it will happen. It's not beyond the realm of possibility, but that doesn't mean that he absolutely 100% knows uh, you can trust him. He's a completely reliable narrator who is fully versed in what's actually going on. He knows some stuff. Yeah. Because he is her right hand. So he knows some of the things, but he didn't know what she was doing uh, in Stormheim when she went to go see Helia. She keeps stuff from him all the time. She doesn't tell him anything she doesn't think he needs to know. She tells him what he needs to know to do what she wants him to do. He's he's an arrow in the quiver. Is really like we we yeah. that it, it's something that like has been said, but like this is one of those scenes where it really drives that home. And Matt's really pointing out something that I think is a lot of people. I, I don't want to say gloss over. But I think people assume that their relationship might be a little more two-way than it is because that's how it was in life. But ever since, even like going back to the short story with Nathanos, Dark Mirror, yeah, Dark Mirror, um, he didn't know what was going on. Even up to the point where he was told to lay down on the table, she didn't tell him what was going to happen to him. Like, it, it, it was one of those things where it's like, even in her, her giving him a quote-unquote gift, he wasn't allowed to know what was happening or, or what the process was. It wasn't or even what a was question of him being allowed to know it. She did not tell him because she did not have to tell him. Because he would it just... It wasn't important to tell him. Yeah. He'll do what he's told to do, so you don't have to explain things to him. So you only tell him what he you believe he needs to know to accomplish your aims. And a lot of this comes from the fact that if you look at the end of war crimes, I think the end of war crimes, war crimes itself is a very significant step towards the Sylvanas we have now. I would agree. Because up until that point, that's a Sylvanas who wasn't really thinking about the kind of loss that she had undergone. She basically buried it all. But when she had the chance to get her sister back and then lost it and, you know, she just went nuts. There's a... And not just a little nuts, like... Yeah, there's the kind of pain you feel when something you thought you could never have is dangled before you again and you think you can have it, and then it's taken away again. You know, there's a reason that the Peanuts comic strip has Charlie Brown constantly going for that football. Why does he always go from the football where he knows she's going to pull it away from him? Because he wants it so badly. He wants to kick that ball. Mm-hmm. It is it's symbolic of all the things he wants to have in his life that he doesn't have. Now, imagine he did give up on it. Just gave up, let years pass, didn't try. And then there he was possibly about to make the, like the head kick in a football game. He got himself on the team. He's all set to go. And then at the last second, while he's going up to kick it, he looks and sees that it's Lucy and she pulls the ball away. That kind of pain is what she went through at that point. That's a ridiculous story. But at the same time, you understand the metaphor makes sense. You get it. You know what it feels like to lose something that you didn't even think you could have. And then there it was. And then there it was gone again. Yep. And that's when she went and got Nathanos and decided, you know, I need a tool. And and I don't, I'm not disputing that she used to have strong feelings for him. I'm not even disputing that she does still have strong feelings. But she but knows she, to the extent that she can use him because of those feelings that he plus, might still have. 
you know, plus not just that, but the feelings that she has, because she has them and because of how she views having feelings, she they enrage her. She hates mm-hmm. them. In in a way, he is in the worst position of anybody that's that's loyal to her. In that he, she can still hurt him and she will want to hurt him. Doing you know, treating him as a disposable pawn is probably the kindest thing she can do. Because it means that he is away from her and that she is not tempted to take out all the frustration and rage. The frustration and rage that made her set fire to Tildrassel. Sure, she had to kill a lot of people, but that was personal. That was very much, I want to stomp on your hope. I want you to feel the same misery I felt. Yep. It's 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 that whole, this tastes awful, have a sip type thing. Yeah. And the thing with with Nathanos and Sylvanas is, I do think that he's privy to a lot. So I do think he's probably aware of where she's going and why she went there but that's basically it he doesn't know squat about the jailer's plans yeah exactly and like and we don't know the context in which she told him one of the things that i think is is uh, i don't want to say telling but it, it sort of sticks with me is that he's the blight hound right like he is in all you know affects a loyal hound to sylvanas he will follow her commands and it's like if you've ever like taught a dog a series of commands and and they look at you with a sort of adoration that you don't have to necessarily explain anything because again they're dogs and I'm not saying that I talk to my dogs all the, all the dang time and treat them like humans but I mean the you get the idea no i understand the dog doesn't require you to exactly explain. and the that- reason i'm teaching you how to do this is because if you poop inside people get upset and it's just better for everybody if you go outside to poop. You don't have to have that conversation with the dog. You simply take it outside and teach it to poop there. Exactly. And now, it's not that, you know, whatever your feelings are aren't important. The point is that, that it's a dog. Now, And I'm not saying that Nathanos is a dog. But in terms of their relationship, she has never had to justify herself. Exactly. Exactly. And he's always sort of had that blind admiration for her ever since she rescued him from his prison of being like trapped in the scourge. Right. Yeah, He was a mindless undead and she brought him back to himself now as much as he could be. Now, there are a couple of things that I think are interesting in the statement, too. And these two questions, uh, again, from Titan Fuzz and Kisan, uh, are, are really they made me think about it a little bit. Nathanos has been around for a while, and I don't think he's been told anything, but I think he's making assumptions, right? And I think he's in that place mentally where he doesn't know what's going on. He's inferring from what he knows of how things have been working for Sylvanas and the tools that he's seen at the disposal, even if you just take it in context of Battle for Azeroth. Case in point. He knows about the jailer. Okay, that's that's one thing that we can confirm. He knows at least about that. Uh, we don't know the context of the plan that she told him. It could be that she's going to get power from the jailer. Uh, it could be, you know, whatever number of things. It would, in fact, straight up be suspicious of the fact that she told him anything. Like, yep. he would have seen her talk to him. If they have any form of communication, he might have seen it. She might have said, you know, my ally on the other side has said this and we'll do this. But I doubt seriously that she's told him much of anything about the jailer. Yeah, and he probably found out from his own little spy network or something along that line. Just from being there, he infers based on what he does know. But uh, in terms of, like, you know, I have an ally on the other side or whatever, maybe. But I just, I don't think that there's a ton of, uh, in this particular case, I think there's a lot of inference. I would agree. And And I think some of that also bleeds over into the whole I will be with her again thing. Because Nathanos hasn't died. Yet, not like Sylvanas has. 
Not like some of the other, uh, you know, Forsaken have at any point in time. He hasn't experienced that same thing. But what he has seen is he's seen perverted Kyrian raising the dead. He might know about the Mossworn in so much that he knows that they can ferry souls to the Shadowlands. I would imagine that at some point, because of what was happening in like Shadows Rising, that he understands the importance of circumventing what they can do, because that was part of him trying to take Pwam Samdi out of the plan, uh, which was, yeah, okay, he's taking souls away from this process that we're already trying to circumvent. I can kind of get behind that. I know enough that I can you know, go do this. But maybe it's the expectation that he thinks he still has a soul and that at the moment of his death, death isn't important anymore to him because a Mossworn will just come and grab him and bring him to the Maw. They'll bring him to where his lady's holding up holding up uh, court or whatever the case is. And, and again, I think it's I think Rossi's right. I think it's that inference. And I think that's him just trying to put the pieces together because one of the things watching the 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 cinematic over and over and over again, he's got sort of this confidence of the self-deluded where he's certain in what he's doing, but it might not be based on anything of reality, if that makes sense. Like he's built up what's going to happen in his mind because it allows him to do what he needs to do. And that's about as far as it goes. And I I have done that in the past with myself. I understand how that that can creep in and sort of take control. I can only imagine how that is for him with if his devotion to Sylvanas was the feeling that he latched onto the most when he was raised from mindless scourge to uh, forsaken undead boyfriend that we've seen that they've all sort of intensified in that. And I think that intensification of sort of that emotion would lead him to do justification in any way he possibly could because he needs to. And I think that's what it was at the end because he doesn't know what, what happens with Forsaken Souls any more than we do. We He doesn't know if he even has a soul. He's not died. He hasn't seen the, the void that Sylvanas has seen. He hasn't seen any of those dark horrors. He's never even come close to it. He Even when he was starting to fall apart, Sylvanas put him back together again. He's never been in that same predicament. He has no idea. So everything he's saying, I think, is just that 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 sycophant grasping at straws. Like this is fine. My death will have meaning, and I'm you know it's going to be fine because the you know the the un undark or dark angels are going to come and take me to my lady and all this other stuff. I I just think it's him justifying. Um, before we move on to the Tehran part, anything else you want to add about Nathanos? No, I want to talk about the Tehran part. I don't care about Nathanos anymore. <laughs> Go for the it. Guy is done. Let's. Uh, to answer your question, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, there's nothing more troll-like about our appearance. All night elves have sharp, pointy teeth. You can see mine on my character, mm-hmm. and that mottled stuff is her markings. Yeah. That's her old markings. Remember them? They're turning like that because of the night warrior, but it doesn't look anything like troll skin. If you go up close on a troll's face, they don't look like that unless they've got paint on. Which they can do now, by the way. If you go into the troll customization options, you can put paint on your face, and it's pretty dang cool. Um, but yeah, no, there's not. It's not trollish anymore. It's it's trollish in that we have the the basically confirmed notion that the night elves are descended from trolls who were exposed to the Well of Eternity, and specifically the dark trolls, who were kind of an offshoot that were separated from and not around the other trolls very much but i don't she's not reverting and there's nothing specifically trollish about a loon and a loon's almost always depicted by night elves as a night elf that doesn't mean that's what a loon is 
I mean, for all I know, a loon literally is just a big moon. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, she's never even made an appearance in game. So you, like so every time. Hmm? Secretly, she's the uh, the leftover 80s uh, Rock Lords toy that never got produced. I was actually thinking of was the, the, the Legend of Zelda, the one with the scary moon. Oh, yeah. The Majora's Mask. Yeah, Termina. The, like the, the, the moon of Termina. Yeah, that thing just shows up, and that's the loon. Hi, guys! Ah! By, by, the time, by the time this recording goes live, I will have already tweeted out a picture badly photoshopped of that moon with, like, a bow in its hair and a loon underneath it. It's coming. Okay. Don't worry. Well, anyway, my point being, <laughs> I, I, there's nothing in anything we've seen that, that is specifically troll-like to the point where you need to draw any sort of conclusion about how a loon... I don't think a loon looks like a night elf, really, either, just in case that needs to be said. I just think that Whatever a loon is, it's probably way beyond actually looking like either a night elf or a troll. And we know this because we know that a loon has worshippers on other worlds, thanks to Shadowlands. We know that yep. there's people on other planets that pray to a loon. They're not elves or trolls. They appear as animals because they're in the Shadowlands, and that's the forms they've been put into. But they're not. They're neither nor elves nor trolls. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that that's... There's nothing particularly trollish about a loon. A loon trolls didn't have anything to do with the Night Warrior. It's very much a loon is something that the trolls have never worshipped or even given lip service to, except maybe one troll group that turned into night elves. I actually am really sad that there's one dark troll left. Really? Um, Why are you sad yeah, about that? I, I wish they you could imagine if they were around. Imagine if they could actually be met. Imagine if like you could actually have a dark trolls as an alliance group that were like you know somewhat on terms with their night elf relations. And made the Night Elves have to deal with the fact that they were related to trolls. Because the Night Elves won't deal with that. They straight up, in their culture, they're like, if you bring it up, they ignore you. There's like, I remember a whole story about uh, Bronn bringing it up to some Night Elves, and the Night Elves were like, that's ridiculous. Trolls? <sighs> so, yeah, there's there's some stuff in there that would be kind of cool. But as far as I know, there's like one dark troll left, and they live in Zandalar as kind of a curiosity. Um, the rest of them are all dead. They were killed by the Twilight Hammer. Uh, during during cataclysms build up and yeah uh, there's nothing particularly relating the loon to the, to the trolls unfortunately or fortunately whichever yeah now we might that, that's not to say that we might not find something different later on but I, Matt's got the right of it um, and I think this is another one of those items where um, I think we sort of take it as players more than anything else that we know this thing, we know that trolls were descended, or elves are descended from trolls, and so we look for those sort of things. But I think that as players, we also tend to assume elves are a lot more graceful and elegant uh, to the point of like refinement versus. You want those guys? You won't go go talk to high elves. Yeah, but even in but you look at the you look at the the night elves. They're warriors. They're fierce. They're one with nature. And yes, they do have the, the, the model markings. They do have those pointy teeth. Elves have had that since the very, very beginning. That is not that If you is go back and new. look at Samwise's uh, character art for Night Elves, uh, they very much, they, they actually had blood dripping down the Night Elves' faces. Because yeah. they would bite people. Yeah, I have, um, I was going to say, like I have a Series 1 toy sitting two feet to my right of Chandra's feather moon. And even that toy has pointed teeth. Like this is not new. They are just as fierce and, and, and I don't want to say feral, but they can be as feral as we've seen. Like with, orcs I believe that was actually the word that was even used. Like, yeah, I've got the, the sketch right here. 
Um, it's from one of the the Warcraft art books. I actually went and looked it up. I've got the book. So, um, and you, the picture you've got of a night elf woman, she's got blood all over her face and huge pointed teeth sticking out mm -hmm, of her mouth. Mm -hmm. And she just, it's basically implied. She just bit somebody. And, and um, that's not something that was uncommon for people that were, uh, you know, extreme warriors. You use every weapon that you have at your disposal. It, I like that idea. And I, I believe, and I think Sam, is, even noted that it was like originally like it stemmed from like something with plains elves, which were cannibalistic elves at one point, And this sort of evolved from there. Um, but I, yeah, just bear in mind that you're going to see things like that. Take it with a grain of salt, but elves are just as can be just as mean, downright dirty as any of the horde races or any of those other quote unquote monstrous races, if they choose to be. And sometimes they just choose to be. And plus, I mean, just not to put too fine a point on it, but the difference between night elves and like say blood elves or void elves, um, night elves are like seven feet tall. Yeah. Like a night elf dude is like tall and jacked. He's built like a linebacker, not like a front liner, but still tall and jacked night elf females big de definitely muscular much more so than than say the other elves that came after before it. before worgen and Drenai, they were the tallest of the alliance yeah and uh not you know not messing around um the, the, the night that's why i find the 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 nightborn hilarious because like they're the spindly magic addicted version of that but they still are really tall uh compared to like a high elf like lorthamar is looking up at, at her at her every time she's hitting on oh, yeah. she has to stop and look up because she's like that's like having somebody a solid foot taller than you hit on you and my wife can address to this it can be difficult because you're constantly like oh you're up there so yeah so i hope that answers both of your questions and thank you very much for that uh but again look forward to shadowlands again dropping tomorrow uh and spend some time in ardenweld if you want to learn more about the night warrior and yeah. maybe a little and more about the elves Please, um, I'm going to say this. I won't be playing tomorrow because I have to go in for my eye injections tomorrow. That's right. I'm going in for my eye injections on Shadowlands Ooh. launch day. So I won't be playing tomorrow. So everybody's going to get to be ahead of me and everyone's going to get you know, their characters further along than me. So yeah, enjoy the game for me because I won't be. I will be laying here with blood leaking out of both of my eyes. So Matt's going to do his best elf impression tomorrow. So all of us have a, an obligation to go enjoy the, on his behalf. Uh, our next question comes from Tetsemi. Question for the Lore Watch podcast. Week two event dialogue question. While listening to the Herald, it states, death comes for the soul of this world. Is this a metaphorical statement or does it give away what their actual goal with the banished one is? Uh, maybe. <laughs> we still don't well, know. I mean, it's one of those. <laughs> it's either you know a metaphorical statement or giveaway in fact it can be a metaphorical statement that gives away their actual goal oh yeah but it definitely feels like less a metaphorical statement and more like a you know i'm gonna do this thing you know how villains do that they just come in and they're like you know i'm gonna do this thing You're like why are you telling us because it's better for me that you know oh, yeah. when i do it anyway you know you'll be all but he told us we would do it how can yeah. I mustache troll if I don't tell you ahead of time? Uh, I think part of it, though, too, is also one of the, one of the things I noticed is that the Shadowlands is very self-aware. Like the creatures of the Shadowlands that aren't necessarily being drained of their anima, and even many of those that do understand that they are dead. Uh, like 
you talk with any of the Kyrian or things like that, they understand that they're leaving their old life behind. They're not being reborn into life. They're part of this this death realm. Uh, so it's entirely possible that it is, again, a metaphorical statement, uh, or it may be one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're death. We're coming for this world because they actually consider themselves to be part of death. Um, it's a whole new ball game as far as that's concerned. Uh, but it is also possible that it is something that, you know, could be the end game of the jailer. Uh, but who knows? We know that the jailer is interested in Azeroth. We know that there's a connection there. We know that there that might be part of the reason why he was banished where he was in the first place. We know that Titans have souls of immense power. We still don't know what happens when a Titan dies, despite the fact that we've managed to kill one, because of course we did, and we didn't think about any ramifications therein. Uh, we don't know what that could possibly mean in terms of conversion into anima or what would happen with that, all that energy flooding in uh, to the Shadowlands. There's still so much we don't know that this statement, it could be slightly prophetic it could be a throwaway. Uh, it can mean everything or it could be nothing. So that's why I say maybe. It could be any of these things or none of them. Uh, our next question comes from our friend Vertigree. A question for either podcast. Well, I stole it. So there. Uh, from Vertigree, our undead mage friend from Dalaran. So here's a thought. What if a loon is like the old gods, sending out fragments of something hurtling through the universe hoping to meet planets? What if all or some of the moons in the Warcraft universe are pieces of a loon? Moons are rocks. Naru are rocks. Sort of. Secret solved? Question mark. Wishing you well. Uh, what do you think about that one, Matt? I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as moons are, you know, you know, chunks of a loon. But, I mean, it is interesting to think about. I mean, it kind of would work with Naru, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. We've already got that thing where the tear of a loon could wake up an Aru. What if the Naru are chunks of a loon being thrown into our reality? What if the reason a loon is like, you know, not a Titan and seems to be more powerful, powerful enough to just like nuke an old god from orbit, essentially, with the Night Warrior, is that a loon is some kind of higher being, like equivalent to a Void Lord or the entire Void Lords? Like, I don't know. I, I have no idea, but it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of a loon and a loon's role. Like, what if, what is a loon? Why are there entire worlds named after a loon? Like, was a lunaria a moon? Like, are, are moons just special to her? Like, you know, I don't know. That's interesting to think about, though, isn't it? Especially interesting to think about is that concept of, you know, we've got the, the void, the, the old gods are the things the void lords fling into the universe to find and infect titans. The titans are things that enter our universe from, like, the arcane plane. They're not native to our universe either. Mm -hmm. Like, so is that just like, our, is our universe just full of cosmic entities throwing shit at it? Sorry about the swear there, but you know, that, you know that's, what I'm saying? That's, that's the fills of an RPG 13 rating. We're good. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, right? Is yeah. That, is that our cost? Is our cosmos just, you know, a bunch of cosmic rednecks throwing things into it? You know, I, hey, and let's I, see what sticks boys. It's, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because like, oh, I remember way, way long ago, back when Chronicle was first releasing and you, you, Anne and myself were, we were all sitting down and we were talking about it. And I pointed out back then that the cosmology chart seems to be this, this just pointing out that our material world our plane of existence is kind of like this weird leaking point for all of the others because it is unique in the fact that everything touches it in some capacity except for like things that are just slightly outside of those circles and i'm still wondering about that if 
again, we, we've talked about the cosmology chart not being taken as a literal thing of how things are working because it's a 2D representation of a 4D uh, model. But what if that's what makes our world so special? There are so many things that interact with uh, us on such a, a weird level, like light and dark. So how, how the light and the void sort of interact with each other, how shadow still touches us, how we can still wield necromantic power, powers of the warlocks and the outer planes, how all this magic can seep into our world from all these different realms, the arcane realms, the uh, different planes, how the the wild gods can be born here, but technically are part of the, the circle of life, uh, which we now possibly know as Ardenweld. Um, there's so many things that make it very fascinating that it's almost like our world shouldn't exist. And that's what makes it special, that, that our universe shouldn't be a thing. But because all of these realms just kind of butt up against each other and sort of crack a little bit and sort of seep into the same area that everything sort of melds together here. I personally think there's going to be something here with a loon involving or something specifically with the first ones, because I think there's a lot to that. We don't know about that. That's going to shed light on how the universe was ordered because we know that the first ones created the shadowlands. We still don't know what created the universe, our universe, or how that happened. Uh, and we know that all those elements can sort of interact with each other in weird ways. Like um, we talked about Revendreth, right? And what is the that area where the light is like scoured through everywhere? I know that it exists. I don't know anymore. Sinfall. Sinfall. Um, so you look at Sinfall and it's like completely bleached by the light. And you look at it and as a player character, it's so wildly different than any light we've interacted with to the point where, in, and I haven't seen anybody talk about this, it burns you. It doesn't matter if you're a priest or a paladin. It doesn't matter if you are exalted in the eyes of the light. Uh, it doesn't matter if the Naru love you and, you know, have little teddy bears of you that they snuggle when they go to bed at night. It burns you. It hurts you. It destroys you. And we don't know if that's the interaction of specifically how the light filters through that area or if the light is sort of intelligently making the decision to be that harsh there. Because when you go to Bastion and the light definitely touches Bastion in some capacity, it's gentle. It's it's not that same level of of harsh intensity. It's not scouring like it like it is in Revendreth. And visibly as a player, you can notice the difference. And when you guys are playing, I want you to look at that. Look at Bastion and look how like soft hues and and how sort of I don't want to say washed out, but like it almost looks like there's an Instagram filter making it warmer than it is because the light's just soft and diffused and and has sort of those soft glow edges and you know it's very nice it's it's almost like one of those old like romance movies from the 90s that had like all the same type of cinematography and then you go when you get to Revendreth look at Sinfall look how harsh it is visually even with like the worst graphics you can see how much more intense the light is so all that stuff's been making me think of how things interact and and if how our world was created was special or deliberate uh, or whether it was just a freak accident of the ordering of everything else. And that's why it's so important. And that's why things keep flinging themselves into our realm is because 
that allows them to interact with things that they couldn't before, right? You have Titans from the Arcane Plane that can go and order planets. Well, you know, they couldn't necessarily do that before. You have creatures that can travel back and forth from the Shadowlands through the Emerald Dream to us in our real world that, you know, can fight against Void and Fell that maybe couldn't do it elsewhere. Uh, so I don't know. Like, it's this really cool, like, extra-dimensional adventure that's sort of starting to unravel. And the more we unravel, the more I think that we're an accident, an interesting, interesting accident of a universe that I don't think was intentional. And it allows all sorts of weird stuff to happen, which is why we as player characters can interact with everything. And I do mean everything. Uh, so who knows, but that's just my two cents. All that to say, Maybe Naru uh, and and moons or or are pieces of a loon that have been flung into our universe, or maybe it's leftovers from a loon traveling through our world. Because I do remember when there used to be stories of a loon coming out of the night well, you know, and ascending to the sky. And whether that was metaphorically the moon rising or whether it was actually pieces of a loon, who knows? We'll probably find out later on. But what if it was? What if she's traveling through our universe and she just leaves a trail? because she doesn't have a choice. It's just kind of what happens. Or maybe the Naru are pieces of her that she's flung into the universe, which is why she's gotten weaker over time. Because that's another thing that's been noted. Like, she's not responding like she used to. Maybe that's why. Maybe she's expended so much of herself throwing things out into the universe that she can't anymore. Don't know. But, Verd, your response is probably just about as good as anybody else's. Anything else to add on Alune? No, I think we covered it. All right. Uh, our next question comes from Jack Jack. Uh, what are your biggest dangling plot threads now that we're leaving BFA behind? What do you hope we'll get follow-up on in the future? Let, oh, you no, no, you, know, you do it first time. No. no I've no. been going first every question. <laughs> because I don't... Okay, fine. I don't really know. And, and I don't say that lightly. I think it's, I say that because I haven't really had a chance to fully sit down and process everything that's gone through in battle for Azeroth and what pieces have been sort of left behind and what pieces, uh, have been tidied up. If anything, they've done a very, very good job of, I don't want to say buttoning up, but giving some form of closure to most of the major plot points introduced in battle for Azeroth. But I think a few of them are the Alduar situation. We still don't know what's going on there. We don't know what got cut off or why uh, Memron said, nope, got to go, peace, and disconnected Alduar from the conduits that were being all charged up to fight Nizoth because it seems like something he would be very interested in helping prevent the world from succumbing to. So what's going on up there? Uh, is Odin involved? Because Odin was suspiciously absent this entire expansion and I will legitimately say that I expected him to show up at some point even in a small capacity or even as a throwaway reference on one of the expedition islands and I don't think we got anything like that especially with the increase in random Vrykrul stuff that was happening uh, on the islands and other places and yes I know that some of that ties back to uh, Helia and what's going on there but it, it, it just... I, Odin doesn't seem like somebody who would let Helia move around unfettered because if she's around, that means his grudge hasn't been settled. And he seems to me like an entity that really likes to hold on to grudges. So 
those are those are the major ones for me that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, and then also what's going to happen with the gnomes, uh, because everything that happened with Mechagon is this huge potential. And yeah, it got sort of buttoned up at the end there with uh, Mechatork becoming the Grand High King Tinkerer or whatever his new title is, but basically Lord of All Gnomes. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen after that because if all of the gnomes now have Mechagon as their home, are they pulling out of the Alliance? Are they moving entirely to uh, you know, the, the islands and, and where they're located now? Uh, are they abandoning their old irradiated home that still hasn't been cleansed uh, despite all the efforts to reclaim it? Because what incentive now do they have to really worry about the other things? So there's a couple things that I would love to see circle back on as, as far as like story threads go. Um, but I don't know if I have any real dangling plot threads that like burning need to desire quite off the top of my head. Okay, one thing I know isn't going to happen, but I wish would happen is I wish Toronto would show up at Suramar with all the power of the Night Warrior and just wreck the place. Tear it to the ground. Hmm. The Horde haven't lost a city except for the one they blew up themselves. The Alliance has lost two cities to the Horde. I think it would be cool if the Horde lost one. And it wasn't them, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll blow it up to spite you. No, they lose one. They take a beating. I want the Horde to take a beating for once. It has been, I don't know how many years. This isn't going to happen. They're going to basically not deal with this storyline uh whatever toronto's going going on with the night warrior it's going to get resolved in shadowlands while mm -hmm. she's dealing with that i don't expect to see the power remain with her like i think it's likely that by the end of shadowlands there will be some new order where toronto has dealt the, the spread the power of the night warrior out to a bunch of other you know night elf souls and possibly that's where paladins come from um i'm not sure like there might be night elf paladins who derive from that or something else. But that think that's what I think based on what we're seeing in Ardenweald. I believe that's how we're going to deal with the night warrior story is that she's going to succeed in distributing the power and thus not be torn apart by it. Maybe I'm wrong and she'll get torn apart, but I think it's going to go that way because they've set up all the stuff for it. Yeah. But um, in terms of what I, what some things I would like to see resolved. <sighs> I mean, there's nothing in, in from battle for Azeroth that I, I I don't expect them to like pull the sword out of Azeroth at the end of it. Yeah, I was never really like th that was never going to be like what I expected to happen. So I wasn't like, why there's still a sword in the planet? Like, yeah, that sword's gonna be there, guys. You don't just pull that thing out. Uh, if you get stabbed in real life, they don't just pull the knife out. Like if you get like impaled on something, they leave it in until they can get you to a place where okay, we're gonna take it out. And then we're going to like stop the bleeding real fast. If they can't stop the bleeding real fast, they will leave the damn thing in. Uh, and this, this, in, this is like, I'm talking about like vital wounds. I'm not talking about, Oh, you got stabbed in the elbow or something. I got stabbed in the elbow. They just stitched me up. Um, I'm talking like, you know, someone has like a, a spike driven through their chest. Or yeah, what have you. You've all seen it in the movies. Like, you know, the arrow that's, that's too deep to pull out because it'll just keep bleeding or the wounds too ragged to, yeah. to seal not, up or, in this or case, not ragged. Just the thing, this happens in real life. If you get impaled like that, the reason they leave it in is because it's holding the blood in like the, the, the thing that's in the wound is actually keeping yep. stuff from coming out. So once you pull it out now, boosh, there comes all the blood, uh, one of the, my favorite lines from a Conan story, actually, is from uh, the Phoenix on the Sword, where he gets stabbed in the side, and when they're like coming to help him, he says, you know, there's, there's a wound in my side, cram some stuff in it. That was how they treated stab wounds. Mm -hmm. they, they just, you know, they 
put stuff in the wound and then they wrapped around it to keep you from bleeding out. And so I don't think we're going to yank the sword out of the planet or shrink it down or do anything that's going to make that that wound worse. Um, I've seen a lot of cool fan art of like eventually, you know, the planet gets, gets its mind and pulls the sword out and uses it as a weapon. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man, that's pretty badass. You use the sword. Someone stabbed you with to stab other people. <laughs> like, yeah, thanks for the sword. And like, um, okay. But regardless, I don't, I don't think we're going to see resolution to that until after Shadowlands. Like Azeroth has been wounded. Clearly the world is weak enough that it, that the spirit, the forces of death are coming. Like this is the, I think that when you asked before, is this a metaphor or is it like, I think it's, it's a metaphor in the sense of this entire game is a metaphor. Like in, in the metaphor of Azeroth being wounded, we're, we're giving you the objective correlative of it, which is literally the forces of death have come to the world to claim it. You know, but obviously the planet doesn't want to die. So, but I don't think in terms of healing the world, that's going to happen until the next expansion, at least. I, I don't think we're going to see a bunch of, you know, a happy Azeroth with all its problems solved and all its, you know, big seeping wounds closed up. But I definitely think that we should, we definitely need to, to have some closure on that. I would like there to be, like, I would like it if the expansion after Shadowlands was one where we go to explore Azeroth and find new places and, hopefully, you know, heal up those those wounds that the planet has suffered. But I don't know. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, the, we've got the, the Azeroth, we've got the uh, Alliance conflict thing, which, you know, I think is going to progress as it progresses. I, we've got the Horde Council and, you know, can the Horde run itself without one singular leader? Especially when, like, several of its leaders just get kidnapped to another plane of existence. Oh, yeah. And several of those leaders don't exactly get along on the same wavelength, even remotely close. So that's interesting. Um, there's stuff that I don't. I also don't think we will ever see in World of Warcraft. I would love a storyline. Like I would love an expansion where the factions like got jumbled up. Imagine an expansion where it was like Torin, Worgen, Draenei, and like I don't know gnomes in a faction together. What? Why? I don't. I don't have no reason for this, and I don't think it will ever happen. But. I'd like an exp- I'd like World of Warcraft to, in some fashion, if it's not going to get rid of factions, then do something interesting with them. Yeah, yeah. And I... They have not done anything interesting with the Alliance Horde conflict yet, and I honestly think that the Alliance Horde conflict was the weakest part of Battle for Azeroth. I would tend to agree. Uh... Not that they didn't try, not that they're not good storytellers, but in the end of the day... At this point, it just feels like we're. It, it feels like you know certain characters have to wear the either the idiot ball or the evil ball for this. You know, I'm donning my my chapeau of, of malevolence now. I can be the the leader who need. You know, it's. It feels like we need that just to get this faction conflict to work because it just doesn't make sense anymore. It's like how many times is like you know a cosmic force of malevolence? The Legion literally just invaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. If we can't look at that and then say, you know, maybe we have got problems bigger than ourselves and we don't need to fight anymore. No, I hate you. I wish you were dead. You're not my real dad. I never said I was your dad. I don't know what's going on here. Ah! Oh, we're going to have another faction conflict expansion. Yay. It just it just feels forced at this point. And it feels like at the end, we always have people like, can't, why can't we come together in peace? Jaina, you're the one who told, we, told us we couldn't after they blew up your home city. That's why we can't. Remember they blew up your home city? Like, well, yes, but we have to reach beyond that. Okay, then do so. Do it. Move past it. If you're going to say you're going to move past it, then move past it. Move the story along. Yeah, and you know what? And I think that would be fine. Like, I'm going to – I think this is a good sidebar to have as far as, like – 
I guess the second part of the question should and or could and should be where do we want the story to start evolving to is really what it boils down to. And I don't think they'll ever get rid of like a faction divide, like you said, but I'm kind of in that same boat. Like I'm kind of curious what can be done to make it more interesting. Years ago, we remember talking about other MMOs that were coming out and the idea of adding three, four, five factions for players to choose from and having things like, you know, tentative alliances and things like that. And I don't know if we'll ever see it. I doubt we'll ever see something like that in in Warcraft, but like it would be a really interesting thing to see how they would break that up. Like you said, we have no reason behind some of these these sort of collections of things, but I could totally see, you know, the gnomes pulling away from the alliance and sort of dealing with things with Kaltirans because that's where they're going to be for most of that time. Uh and maybe the Zandalar pull out of the horde because they don't really care about it anymore. And uh, who knows how that could happen. But like all these different ideas, all these different factions within the faction all have different, they'll have different desires. And like the Alliance is really exemplifying that right now. We you look at the night elves and what they're going through and what they need to go through to get their, their form of closure that doesn't align with a lot of the rest of the Alliance. Gnomes have their own thing that they're dealing with now. Uh, we still have the Worgen who, yeah, they're kind of loyal to Stormwind to a certain point, but you know, we've pointed this out before. When nobody else would take them in, where did they go? They went to Darnassus. Night elves are hurting. I could totally see the Worgen going, yeah, we're going to go help them now because we understand what that's like. And at the end of it, they were the ones that gave us a home. So peace. Like, I could see factions starting to splinter within each of these factions, and I wouldn't be mad about it. I would actually probably be fairly excited to see maybe some subdivision going on where, you know, we we talked about, like, my character wouldn't necessarily have wanted to go on a raid in Darkshore. My character definitely wouldn't have wanted to do that, but I had to anyway. Well, maybe each of these factions gets more of an identity that way, because that's that's one of the things that I think is, is the biggest weakness of the storytelling with, with having such a faction divide. What is the Horde and what is the Alliance at this point? It's not like it used to be. It used to be a very clearly defined, very black and white sort of, you know, words on the page. You can tell exactly what they are and what the identity of those groups are. But over the years, it's gotten so complicated that maybe it's time to sit back and, and take a look at those those factions again, maybe to take a look at those identities and figure out what they're supposed to be anymore or maybe get rid of factions altogether and just have the individual races. I don't know, but I, I do agree that I think it's time for something to shake it up a bit, to maybe take a look at this thing that has been so, and I don't want to say overdone, but so traditional with just having two factions. And it's not just, wow, it's it's been like this in, in games for as long as I can remember. Uh, and see if there's a way to mix it up in a way that, that adds some new, com- new life or addresses the complexity that's been building in the game that we see in the books, that we see in the narratives that are starting to develop with like the Horde Council. We start seeing some of that in, in Shadows Rising. Uh, heck, even when we start seeing it in War Crimes and in, in we start seeing all this, this complication of identity, maybe lean into it, maybe figure out how to make that work. I don't know. But yeah, anything else to add to that before we move on to our next question? No, I don't think so. 
All right. This one comes from Tetsemi again uh, with the new short story out. Uh, this is the We Ride Forth story that is available now for you to read at WorldOfWarcraft.com. How do you feel about where Death Knights are at now? What do you think this means for the Scourge? Without the helm, it did seem the Death Knights could retain some control over the mindless undead if they were in close proximity to them. But it does leave the question of the whole vision of a dead Azeroth without the helm in control. Any speculation on where you'd like this story to go? I guess, quickly, uh, before uh, we start answering that question, if you haven't read the story, the gist of it is it's the moments beforehand answering the question that we asked a very long time ago of where were the death knights where was the army that bolvar had been building throughout all of legion when the events happened with sylvanas coming to take the helm of domination from him why weren't they there this short story answers that question uh it, it gives us a little more insight into uh how the scourge works just a little bit how the Lich King works just a little bit. Uh, it gives us an idea of the connection that the Lich King has with the Death Knights, which is something it's never been really fully expressed before, but here we get more uh, a bigger idea of it. And I think the way that they explain it is one of the uh, more interesting things that I got out of it, which is that it's a conduit of control, that there's a tunnel there. There's like a passage, almost like a data line or a telephone line, uh, and it's either occupied in use or not, uh, which is fascinating to me. Uh, but we do get some of those answers as far as where they've been, what's been going on, and why they weren't there to defend the Lich King or in particular Bolvar uh, when Sylvanas comes a knocking. So you play Death Knight more regularly than I do. How did you feel about this after the story? I honestly don't know. Okay. Is it a Sorry, that's what I got. I mean, <laughs> it's. The idea that he was trying to set up a situation where he would die, but that they would win, which is pretty much the way Nazgrim spells it out at the end. And it, it appeals to Nazgrim because he's an orc. Like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You die, but we win. Yeah, sure. Uh, that was interesting. The fact that he didn't really grasp what she was going for. I keep coming back to that, that he didn't really grasp what she was going for. Like, does that mean that that's not what she was supposed to do? We've talked about this before. It's we've we've had multiple lore watchers now where we've talked about why you know why was it a surprise that she broke the helm? Like, isn't that what they sent her to do? But it doesn't seem like that is what they sent her to do. They sent her to get the helm, and then she ripped it in half. It's like, what game is she playing? Yeah, and he is like that genuine like, and that that's one of the interesting things here too. Because like we talked about the surprise on his face, but like the story lays out that he was sort of understanding what was coming. Like, or that she was coming. Like, he knew. Yeah, no, he, he set up everything so that she would get to him and probably kill him and take the helmet, and then they would descend on her. Well, that's that's not the way that it was explained that I got out of the story. What I got out of the story is that he was going to use the full power of the helm to completely destroy her or to survive and then have them come in to kill him before the helm consumed him and took control of him, which... Yeah, that's that's the other possibility. Well, that's but what the, sure. the, the way the way he frames it. I don't I'm not sure that that's what he was going for. But regardless, he didn't understand her goal. Yeah. Like he never grasped what she was there for. She wasn't there to take the helm and become the Lich King. Because see, if you look at it, it doesn't matter which of us is right. His plan would work for either extreme. If his plan was she comes here, I will unleash the full power of the Lich King upon her and kill her. But then I'll have to be put down before 
you know, I lose control of myself, which of course means somebody else is going to have to become the Lich King. Yeah. And because of that whole Scourge thing. But if that's the plot, great. Didn't work, obviously. Right. And, and that, if the plot was she takes the helm, she becomes the Lich King, and then they come and kill her the way they did Arthas, didn't work that way because she didn't do that. She wasn't there to get the helm. His, his understanding of what she was there to do was faulty. Why was his understanding of what See, she was there to do faulty? Is it that she was a better general than him? I, or is it that he's been watching the Shadowlands? He's been getting information from the Shadowlands. He's been looking into the Shadowlands and seeing in, imperfectly, but he's been looking into the Shadowlands. Did they tell her to do something and then she didn't do it? See, and that's the part that I'm, I'm starting to think uh, I'm leaning into a little bit because of how the story sort of laid it out. Because one of the th- one of the scenarios was that Bolvar laid out that if she put on the helm that he felt she would succumb to its power. What if that was entirely the intention? What if that's why she was being sent to, you know, get the helm in the first place was to put it on? And be consumed completely by, we know that it's tied to the jailer in some way, but if it's a soul-bound object to the jailer to become his avatar in the physical world. Because, and I've been thinking about that since reading the story, it, is that why Bolvar hasn't been using the power? Is that that presence that they were talking about, you know, back in Ice Crown, uh, that it erodes at you. It tries to take control because I think it was in the Arthas book. They talk about that a little bit too. Even back then, I think Christy golden started, started laying sort of the seeds for this. And I'm wondering if there's more to it than that. I'm wondering if that was part of the reason why the helm made it out of the shadowlands in the first place, because there seems to be a lot of that, that sort of consume and control revolving around it. And I think that the Lich King is, just uh, people that have been stubborn enough to sort of resist succumbing to it. Think about this. And and obviously I can't know, but we keep assuming that it's called the helm of domination because it, it dominates the undead horde. But what if it's the other way? What if it all, not the other way. What if it does that? It does dominate these, these undead you create with it and it dominates you. It is the helm of your domination. You know, it would make a certain amount of sense, right? Because, I mean, especially when you go back to the way that they describe the control of the, from the Lich King to the Death Knights, from the Death Knights to the Scourge, they explain it like it's like almost like a tunnel trickle down effect, which is why, as Tsemi po- uh, pointed out, even with the helm gone, the Death Knights, if they're close enough to other undead, they can control them. They can keep them in check. So there, is, there might be some truth to that if... if if we start taking that back step by step, yeah, what if the helm allows who whoever is the end point, in this case likely the jailer, to dominate the wearer, to basically have another point of that control function? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. When did you cut me off? I thought I did. <laughs> it, it's, it's fascinating because it's adding layers to this. And like we speculated, and I think it was you that brought up a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, when we first saw her shatter the helm the idea of whether or not it was part of the plan to begin with. And, you know, the the genuine look of surprise on everybody's face when she did it. Well, think of it this way, too. If she hadn't shattered the helmet, we couldn't go to the Shadowlands. At least not like we are. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's no... If she'd just taken it and either put it on or simply just taken it and left with it, I mean, could she get there? Was that her only way to get there? I don't know. But I do know that we couldn't go after the jailer. 
Like, we, you know, we've only rarely gone even a little into the Shadowlands, and mostly that was just some Death Knights. What? You know? One of our listeners of uh, several weeks ago, and I apologize, I'd, I'd love to look up the question and I didn't think about it till now. Uh, you posited what if her entire plan was to get us in the Shadowlands to kill the jailer? That might still be on the table here. It might not be a good plan. It might not be how we would have seen it as the best way to get there, uh, especially considering the circumstances. I think if, you know, Sylvanas, before she went completely murder happy would have told us a little bit more about it that players probably would have been on board to like oh we get to go fight like agents of death okay but yeah it seems like she made herself into a target that everybody wants to chase literally everyone there is not a person in power on azeroth right now as a faction leader as anything that doesn't want to take sylvanas windrunner down Look at Tehran. Tehran is wielding the power of the Night Warrior, spurned on to get that power by the actions of Sylvanas Windrunner. Power that we now know is strong enough to eradicate an old god from orbit. All of this seems like maybe, maybe part of a plan that I'm, I'm not saying she's a good guy here, folks, but she might be playing 4D chess all along. This might be something deeper and complicated and longer, longer plan than we anticipated. There might be some justification to that because... Let me put it to you this way. Say an entity decides it wants to destroy the entire universe or a group of entities. Just because Dr. Doom comes up with a plan to stop them doesn't mean he isn't Dr. Doom. Yep. Yeah. The plan will be evil. The plan, however, would continue the existence of life in our universe because that's where doom lives yep it would be inconvenient for him and, if you destroyed it and thinking about so, it like if the universe is is non is, the universe no longer exists these sisters that she loves so very very much that it hurts that they're not with her stop existing the uh, yeah like i could see her having some incredibly selfish motivation but also like i think there's an interesting parallel here to call out I think there could be a potential parallel with what Bolvar was explaining and what the what the four horsemen were talking about, like in particular, like Trollbane and, and Nazgrim with uh, the whole. Yeah, he would leave himself for us to kill at his weakest point because he would die doing what he needed to do to protect the to protect Azeroth, to protect all of us. And I could totally see Sylvanas being that self-absorbed martyr syndrome uh, that like, yes, I will make myself into the greatest villain that no one can ignore, that they will have to follow me because of this and they will have to go here. And if I die at the end of this, if I no longer exist, but everything else exists, then I am justified in every horrible action. I and I could see her 100% thinking that long-term as a general, the same way Bolvar used to do and possibly still. Yeah. Does. We keep forgetting this and nothing to not taking away anything from Bolvar as a military leader, but Sylvanas was the Ranger general of silver moon. Yeah. Possibly the greatest general that Azeroth had ever had. No, I will not go. With you <laughs> she just feather moon significantly better, I said, but nevertheless up there, uh, she's up there. She was definitely up there. More importantly, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. Like, it is. She was always good at diversionary tactics. When yeah. when Arthas was marching his way through Silvermoon, her her approach wasn't to stand and fight him. It was delaying tactics, diversionary tactics. You know, it, it would have worked, except there was a traitor who kept opening the gates for him. Um, 
if not for Drakon Dathir, Solanus's plan would have worked. They, he wouldn't have got to the to the sun to the Sunwell. So that is the kind of sideways thinking. If she has a problem, she's going to approach it from an angle. Yeah, and th- it's like how when Garage has a problem, he tries to come up with the biggest counter, like the biggest death blow he can, right up front. Garage is not a patience fighter. He is not a a, a distance fighter. He wants to end it now with the biggest strike he he's, can overwhelming force. Yeah. He's a, he's he a brawler, likes, not a finesse fighter, right? Well, it's not even, it, it's specifically that garage is all about, I want this to end with the minimum cost to me mm-hmm. and the maximum cost to you. He wants to overwhelm his enemies. Varian in, in counterpoint to that Varian was very much an aggressive, but defensive fighter. Like he'll kick you in the nuts right away he wants to immediately make it so expensive to continue the fight that you'll stop. Sylvanas isn't that. Sylvanas is, I want to push you exactly down this channel that will not lead to your victory. I will keep you going in the direction I want. And that's what makes me think that, that this this act, destroying the helm, is part of di- directing us in a certain way. Because it's there, no point did Bolvar expect her to do it. Yeah, and, and that's and an interesting I honestly thing too. Think so, that's why I say I think Bolvar's plan was based on the video, the based on the cinematic intro. I think he let her take it, which is entirely possible. Expecting her to put it on, be overwhelmed yeah. in the same way that he was, long enough for that exact moment. Because one of the things that is interesting is like the all of the horsemen note that the Lich King knows where they are. And even then, like the, when they come to the realization that she might be putting on the helm, they're sitting there and they're like, we'll have a few moments where she won't be able to, to have full control or to detect us where we can strike. And that could very well have been his plan all along. But yeah, that's, that's why I think that that's the plan, but either way, whether he planned to kill her and then have them kill him or to 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 lose and then have them kill her and then he'd be free he'd either be dead or he wouldn't have the helm anymore you know what i mean like there's but she sidestepped it because she didn't go for the direct approach she never does sylvanas windrunner does not go directly at you mm-hmm. the only time she ever did was uh the the broken shore and that was because she was following somebody else. Yeah. You know, when she became leader of the Horde, the Horde did not continue those tactics. So that's why I think that this is definitely a case of it's it's illustrative. It doesn't change the fact that the you know I I there's no way around the things that she's done. They can't but, be just overlooked or forgiven. But nevertheless, it's fascinating to think about. It, you know, she might be out of pure spite at having been manipulated, she might be trying to get rid of the jailer just because how dare he, which is entirely possible. But I'm also starting to now think about who got dragged into the mall. Like what, who, who were the, who were the NPCs? Who were the faction leaders that got pulled away? Thrall, who's still technically beloved by a whole ton of people. Anduin, who's beloved by a whole ton of people. Bane, who's beloved by a whole bunch, bunch of people. Jaina, who's beloved by a whole bunch of people. Like these are all leaders that people feel strongly about following in some capacity. I mean, we literally sieged Okramar to save Bane and Bane so beloved that even the Alliance was there with the Horde. Like, yeah, okay, we're not going to fight each other right now. This is more important. Like these are, are faction leaders that are so universally 
they're they're universally loved in the side of their factions for the most part but even across factions like again further unifying this this you can't not come here this not an option we are locked into this and now looking back at all of it it's it does seem like we are arrows in a quiver that have been pulled out knocked and aimed straight at a very specific target and i don't see us deviating from that path even if we find out things later on by the time we find out what's going on it's going to be too late we're already going to have done what we what she wanted us to do that's i'm starting to feel like that very very strongly man that was a good one thanks for that tetsemi uh anything else you want to add before we close up shop no, I think we're good. All right. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast, the site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your question answered on a podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, and for you, the listeners at home, if you uh, want to catch up on some of those books that we were talking about earlier, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to to check out their service. Uh, this would be a really good opportunity to check out uh, War Crimes, Shadows Rising, uh, Before the Storm, and see some of these steps even that Sylvanas and, and has taken, and even more so how the faction identity has sort of shifted over the course of years. Uh, you can download many of Blizzard's titles, as well as thousands of others, at blizzardwatch.com slash audible and again if you have any questions for the podcast uh be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them into our discord channel most of the ones that i've pulled for this week and going into the future have come out of our discord channel so thank you very much for that uh and yeah uh anything else to add before we say goodbye rossi no i have pointy teeth he does have pointy teeth but with that we will see you next week